and individuals. And if we really are going to honor God, it must be from our heart. Our whole person must be involved, or it's only a show, or worse than that, a mere sham. Jesus described many of the religious leaders of his day by saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he was actually quoting their Old Testament prophet who said those words before him. The problem is not new. It's been around ever since the beginning. It reaches all the way back to the creation, to the days of Cain and Abel. And it certainly exists in our day. People saying all of the right things while doing all of the wrong things. And as a church, if we're going to honor God, we want to do it, and we need to do it from the heart and with all of our heart. So just what do we mean when we say that we want to honor God? What does that look like? I think generally we know what it means, but how would we explain it to someone else? And I think as we think through that, we realize that it can be valuable, not just for another person that we might need to explain that to, but for ourselves also, because it can help us to see how well, or maybe how not so well, we might be doing in this area. If we really want to honor God, there are five things that we ought to do. Now, to be honest with you, I, I really don't know exactly the best way to do this. I, I don't even know the best order to talk about these five things. I, I really only know which one I want to talk about last because there's such uniqueness about it. And, and maybe I know which one I want to talk about first. But other than that, I, I'm not sure what order I ought to talk about them and when. Although I have written it down and followed that. And then none of these five things exist in a vacuum or on their own. They are aspects of honoring God, and so they can be talked about separately, but they really can't exist on their own. Not really. Each one is part of the whole, and all of them must be present if we really want to honor God. Each of these things could be a subject of a book in and of itself. We're not going to go into them in that depth. Not any real depth, really. I know you know the word. You know much of this. But what we are going to do is we're going to state what they are. And we're going to try to give a basic understanding of each of them. And, and see how each is a part of honoring God. And maybe how they all kind of fit together. And after that, we're going to talk about how each one is important in our lives individually and as a church. And that's our task today. And so we're going to begin with this truth. To honor God, we must obey Him. And the reason I'm starting here is because it really is axiomatic. That is, it's really a simply a fact of life or a reflection of reality. You cannot honor God unless you obey Him. Jesus put it this way in Luke. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The implication is clear. To call Jesus Lord, but not to do what He says, is not merely foolish, it's hypocrisy. And you dishonor God when you disobey Him, when you don't obey Him. You honor Him when you 
listen to what he says, and to do what he tells you. And that is an act of your will. You see, you and I decide to obey him, or we decide not to. And if you want to honor God, then you're going to obey him. And every time you do something, because he said you should do it, and every time you don't do something, because he said don't do that, and you obey God, and you honor him. Now I have to tell you, that's not hard to understand. I know it would be hard to do. I know that all too well, but you know we ought to obey him. Now I have a question. I, I, I want you to, to, to think about this. When, when it's hard to obey, is it that when you really honor God the most by your obedience? I, I mean, if it were easy, everyone would do it, wouldn't they? Isn't your obedience in the hard things evidence of your relationship to God? And doesn't that honor Him more than when you just do it because it's easy to do? Certainly does. Now, I know, as I talk about this, that we all fail at this all the time. Every one of us, we all fail. I know that. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you I never did, but I did. So what is it that you do when you fail? Well, you obey, don't you? you? You fail, you sin, you do something you shouldn't do, and so you obey and you confess that sin to him. And you trust him that he will be faithful and just and forgive you that sin, and you turn from it. Or at least you try to. And you do that as often as you have to. And that, too, is obedience to God, and it honors God. So to honor God, we have to obey Him. But obedience is also evidence of something else, isn't it? It's also evidence of our love for God. And if, if you want to honor God, then you have to love Him. And so Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And again in verse 24 of the same chapter, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You see, love and obedience are mixed together. And when it comes to our relationship with God, you cannot have one without the other. And so, of course, love is often the motivating factor, isn't it? We love God. And because we love God, we, we, we want to do what He says and we attempt to obey Him. But then also our obedience strengthens our love, doesn't it? Haven't you tasted that experience that you know? You've done something that you were supposed to do, even though it was hard, and somehow you just love God more because of it. They're so inextricably linked, and yet love's not identical with obedience. Jesus quoting and adding to the Old Testament says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your you know, this just isn't your will here. It's not just obedience that he's talking about. It's feeling and emotion and it, reflecting the heart of humankind. Uh, when there's nothing to do, we can love. We can enjoy. We can relish the presence of God. 
And we're also to love with all of our soul. So God's love for us and our love to him defines who we are as a people. We know because of that love that we belong to God. With our mind, we're to love God. We're to embrace the truth. We embrace God as he reveals himself to us. We understand and accept his command to love not just him, but other people as well. And when our mind gets in the way of our love, as it sometimes does, and my brother Frank is fought saying God didn't reach him through his mind, but through his heart, his mind just kept getting in the way. Sometimes it does, and we just set it aside, recognizing that we can love God in other ways, and yet still that choice is loving God with our minds as we recognize our own human limitations. You see, we learn to live in love. We use the strength that God has given us to love. We do what's best for others in spite of them and at whatever cost to ourselves because we love God. And we don't want to hold anything back from Him. That's what it means to love Him with all of your strength. And I look around here and I, I know so many of you well enough that I can say that I think that you want that. You want that in your own life. I know all of us fail miserably at it all the time, but we may start, haven't we? At least if we want to honor God, we have. And so to honor God, we have to obey Him, and we must love Him. But it also means that we must trust Him. And I can tell you that I really love uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's one of those verses that God has used in my life over and over. Yeah, he used it to bring me to the faith. And he's used it to encourage that faith numerous times throughout my life. Writer Peter says these words. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now there's a whole lot you can say about that passage. But one thing I can tell you that it says is that when you trust God, you honor Him. You please Him when you trust Him. Again, this doesn't stand alone, does it? Faith or trust is what enables you to love your enemy or to obey, obey God in the teeth of all of your feelings when your feelings are screaming to do the exact opposite. It's in faith that uh, we have God is, which allows you to give thanks even when things aren't going your way. But trust goes beyond those things. It, it reveals a kind of a, of a depth to your relationship with God. When you think about a child, you know, uh, where his daddy is taking him or her and throwing that baby up in the air, that monster up in the air, and attacking him, and that child just laughing out loud for joy. That only happens because that child trusts his father. And with us and God, our trust looks something like that. When we're looking to the final outcome, uh, we, we look to the one who is in charge of the then and the now. And it, it, it says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. Trust helps us to 
to take the steps between here and there. And sometimes we laugh out loud in that openness. You want to honor God, you have to trust Him. You have to obey Him and love Him. All of those are elements of what it means to honor God. And then, if you want to honor Him, you also give Him thanks. So Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, among other things, he says that we ought to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now thanks often rises in our hearts when we remember the things good things God has done for us, doesn't it? We often realize how faithful he is. When we think about his love for us, it's natural for us to, to uh, have thanks rising in our heart. And again, all of those things are, are interrelated to our thanksgiving. And thanksgiving often means to other things, too, which honor God. For example, we read in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. And here, thanksgiving leads to worship. The Thessalonians reminds us, even when none of those other things are present, we ought to give thanks to God. Thanksgiving really can be a doorway into the presence of God. It can help lift us out of the doldrums when we're there. It can, it can ease the anxious heart. It can comfort the sorrowful. It can bring focus to our life and clarity to our thoughts. And when we deliberately remember, we make up our mind to remember what it is that God has done for us, the things He has done for us, whether on the cross or in our day-to-day -day lives, and we usually find that thankfulness begins to rise in our hearts. I mean, think about it. God gave us His one and only Son to die for us and take away our sins. If that doesn't make you thankful, or at least reminds you that you ought to be thankful. And I think you have a real problem. Your heart is far away from God. But what do you do? I mean, what do you do if you find that you're in that place where your heart really is far from God? Well, let me tell you, if you really begin giving thanks to God, you'll find as hollow as that might seem when you first start, you'll find that your heart is drawn back to the living God. You honor Him by doing that. And even when you may not feel very thankful, when you start, you honor God, and God responds to you. Giving thanks is honoring Him, and it can help you to move your heart in the right direction. So that's how we honor God. We, we, we obey Him, we love Him, we trust Him, and we give Him thanks. And finally, if we want to honor God, we're going to worship him. And, and this is where I want to get to. This is, in a way, the, the supreme act of honoring God. And it doesn't really happen without those other things that we've mentioned. In many ways, those other things uh, are part of our worship. But worship is unique to God. I mean, we can and should give thanks to others. Certainly, we should do that when they've blessed us in some way. And we should obey others in certain circumstances. I mean, we're commanded to do so. Children are 
to obey their parents. We're to obey governors and others. We're to love others, aren't we? We're to love our family and friends for sure, and our neighbors, but even our enemies. Even trust. We're to trust other people. It's incumbent upon me that I trust my wife. But worship. <coughs> worship belongs to God alone. You had to worship no one and nothing else but God and God alone. Jesus says in John 4, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Worship is acknowledging that God is indeed God. That no one else is. It happens when you and I, when we recognize you and I, that we're not him. And that he has an absolute claim on us. I want to start worship described this way. As casting oneself completely and fully on God, leaving all concern for the self behind. Yeah, I don't know how often we get there. I, I tend to say we fail more often than not, but I think we can understand what's meant by this. Which I think our our heart, our our inner being craves that. It's what we've been made for. And I think once we've tasted it, we know that that's what we've been made for. We are, I think, forbidden to seek mere feelings. Instead, we are to seek the living God who allows those feelings to come to us when and only when they will do us any good. But I also believe the more consistently we worship God, the more consistently we experience His presence, which is life and joy and peace, and all good things, the more we're going to taste that goodness again. Going to God get those things is not honoring God, it's self-seeking, dishonors Him. Worship, like all of Christian life, is a narrow now there are things we associate with worship, which can uh, be expressions of it, which can help us uh, to do it, such as reading the word, praying, singing, listening to a message. But worship is always a matter of the heart, which embraces the truth that God alone is God. Not me, not you, and not anything else. So we honor God when we obey Him, when we love Him, when we trust Him, when we thank Him, and when we worship Him. And all of that is a piece. Each of those things is an aspect of honoring Him. All of them are necessary for to truly honor God. And that's what we do in our lives, individually and as a church. And throughout our time together this morning, I think I've explained or illustrated, at least tried to, each of these points that they apply in our own lives. As a Christian, you and I ought to do these things every day, wherever we are. Obey God, love Him, trust Him, thank Him, and worship Him. But, but it is also what we are to be about as a church, as a local expression of the body of Christ. And, and what we do on our own as individuals can have and should have, indeed is intended to have, a powerful impact 
on what happens here. And what happens here will have an impact on our own lives. What we do as individuals will affect our time together. If we make it a practice to give thanks to God in our homes, we're more likely to participate in it here. Or if we regularly worship Him in our homes, we'll find ourselves more ready for that when it happens when we come here. And again, as we come here, we find that we are helped and encouraged to do those things in our own private life. Now, I want to see if I can try to explain to you how this works. You know, sometimes people accuse believers of being one way when they're in church and another way when they're not. And sometimes when that accusation is made, it's because some person, or sometimes even the whole church, are hypocrites. And that happens. But sometimes <coughs> the accusation is not true. It's made out of mere animosity and yet no real truth in it. But there is a sense in which it is true and always true that we are different when we are here than we are when we're somewhere else. And you'll understand what I'm getting at when you realize that for one hour on Sunday morning, things are as they are intended to be. <coughs> you and I are looking towards God together, side by side, with the world and the flesh and the devil let out of cold. We sing, we worship, we give, we pray, we listen to God's word. We are what we were made to be. Not completely, not yet, but more than at almost any other time. And you put all of that together with the fact that when we gather as a church, we get more than we bargain for. God is at work here in a special way. We're not just a group of people. We're not just a collection of individuals. We're not just a gathering. We are the body of Christ. And the word of God tells us that he's building us together to be a habitation for his spirit. How can that not change us to some degree at the very core of our being? Worship, we gather, is a phenomenal and wonderful thing. I have to tell you, as a pastor, it's hard for me. You know, I know that when we're done singing and offering and all that, that I have to stand up here and I have to deliver a message. So I have to push those ideas aside so that I can worship. I mean, there are still times when I have to jot something down or someone comes to me with a question. But I have made it a, 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 a priority in my life that when I come here, I am going to worship. Because I need what happens when we gather. I need that in my life. I need to be a part of what God is doing. We need each other for all of this to happen. You know, it's not just what the music team does. It's not just the deacons when they pray for the offering, offering or the message that's given, or the reading of the word, or people's testimonies. <coughs> As you sit there, as you stand there, sing, and you listen, whatever it is that you're doing as you're here, you're adding something to what's happening. <coughs> you might think you're taking something away, and you're affecting things negatively. 
And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. At first, I really wanted to try to get this, communicate this truth to you. Look, we communicate on three levels at least. We communicate physically. Sometimes I go up and I put my hand on somebody's shoulder. And, and that's an expression of love or concern or friendship. And that's the communication on a physical level. And then sometimes I look at my beautiful wife and I tell her how beautiful she is, right? And I communicate to her on a different level. And I call it emotional or the level of the soul. But there's also this communication that happens, and I call it on the spiritual realm. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I worked a part-time job. You may have heard me tell this before, but so. I worked a part-time job at a Christian bookstore, and I was a guy there. His name was Fred. And I'd see Fred, and I'd speak to him. Every time I'd see him, I'd speak to him, he'd grunt. And I made up my one mind one day. I said, the next time he does that, I'm going to bite his head off. I'm going to let him know what I think. And I felt like God said, Larry, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to love him. I took those words to heart. The next time I saw Fred, I said to him, hey, Fred, I didn't say a thing to him. But I was different inside. Fred stopped, turned around, and came back. And we talked for probably a half an hour. And we became pretty good friends. Did a lot of things. I have a friend of mine who was at the conference with his work, and a lot of people there were saying hello to the janitor. But Mike knew that Christ loved that man, and he made up his mind to love that man too. Whenever Mike would say hello to the janitor, they just split up. So we communicate on that kind of a, of a realm. We communicate on a spiritual level. And that happens when we gather together here. We bring something more than just our bodies when we come here. And it affects those who are around us. And you may be sitting there today and you might be wondering and thinking to yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't have come to service today. I was in such a bad mood. I wonder how many people might have, might have taken down a not or two, but in my attitude this morning. Well, I don't say, when I say that never happens, but it usually doesn't. Uh, and when it does, it's usually because you're being really belligerent. <laughs> and you know you need to go and apologize for your behavior. But, but usually, when you come here, and you attitude isn't quite right, it usually doesn't hurt anyone. And, and, and the most that happens is they think, this must be something bothering me, or so and so. And that's because of God's grace in the matter. I sometimes, just to get it out of the way, there, and there are enough people with bad attitudes. It does affect others. I told you the story about my home church when there was a group of people. 300 people left that church. And I remember the subway and the last ascended there we left. It felt like the windows had been opened and the lights had been turned on. There was such a free and clean and warm and wonderful spirit in that place. And so when there are a lot of people like that, it can affect what happens. But usually, again, because of God's grace, others aren't hurt. And so when you come here, and let's just say you're not what you wish you were, usually you don't take anything away from the service. So usually you just aren't adding to it at that point. But God wants you here. Let me tell you why he wants you here. First, he wants you here because he's gracious. And second, because he's greater than your sin. And third, this is the body of Christ. And as such, 
wonderful things can happen here. Usually what happens when someone comes here with an uh, less than attitude, if you want to call it that, God in His grace changes us. So there have been times when Ed and I have uh, been on our way to uh, gathering Christians and uh, maybe a Bible study in the light room for fellowship or something like that. And before we started, while we were on the way, uh, we have been uh, having a rather frank exchange of ideas that uh, um, aren't very similar to content and tend to much seem normal, which uh, really have uh, nothing to do whatsoever with climactic changes. Uh, we were having a life thing. Uh, we were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we've done what we wanted to do. We would have turned around, gone back home, and we would have finished that argument style. And as far as I can recall, we have only ever done that once in our married life. You might remember others, but I don't even know. <laughs> Thank you for the work you're doing here in this church. 
Lord, it's not any one person. You have touched so many people, so many different ways. And um, you brought us together, uniting our hearts in Christ, giving us a, a common vision of where you're leading us and what we should look like. And Lord, you're doing all of that because there are people out there who need you, who are lost. <coughs> Dying and condemned to a crisis eternity. Unless someone takes the gospel, unless someone shows it by their life. So please, keep working. Please, do what you have to. 